Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The Old Testament reading concludes our studies in Habakkuk. Uh, We're reading Habakkuk chapter 3 and it can be found on page 942 on the Bibles that you have. So Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shekinoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my string instruments. The gospel reading in the New Testament can be found on page 993 and is Matthew chapter 4. So page 993, reading Matthew chapter 4, it's verses 26 to 31. So, if anyone tells you There he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or, here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. 
For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please send your son, the Lord Jesus. Might he come soon. And please today, as we hear from your word, now help us to learn how to wait with faith and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you take your seats? Do you take up your Bibles again? And we're in the Habakkuk 3 passage that was the first reading which is on page 942 in the Church Bible. So do turn back to that, 942 on Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to start by reading uh, verse 17 again. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails... And the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stools, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. How can Habakkuk possibly be joyful? Do you remember the situation he's in? There is wickedness running through the land. Uh, in judgment, the Babylonians are being sent, and many will be taken off into harsh exile, and the land will be left ruined. It's not a joyful prospect. Joy like this isn't unique to Habakkuk, though. Think of the disciples in Acts chapter 5. Not long after Jesus has left them, they are arrested and flogged, and then when they're released... They rejoice because they've been counted worthy of suffering for Jesus. Uh, how could they have joy like that? Or think of Paul. He was put in prison in Philippi, but was singing songs through the night. And then later in his letter to the Philippians, from a prison in Rome, he said, I'm in chains, but I'm rejoicing because it's advancing the gospel. How do people have such an outlook? And it's not just people in the Bible. Do you know the man who uh, wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? We sang that song last week and his story came back to my mind. It was written by Horatio Spafford after a series of traumatic events in his life. First, his four-year-old son died. Then he was financially ruined by the great uh, Chicago fire of 1871. Then he decided to travel to England to take part in an evangelistic mission uh, he sent his family ahead whilst he was delayed, but the ship that they were on sank and his four daughters died. 
As he was making the crossing later, he wrote that hymn that we sang last week, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How could he write that? I think here as well of the people that I've met, people who have known sorrows, tragedy and loss, violence and injustice, yet you have maintained a deep Christian joy which goes alongside your sorrow. How? Christians continue to find themselves living through these distressing times, don't we? Yet somehow, Christians still manage to experience joy. And how that happens is our topic for today. First, though, a reminder of where we are. Um, Habakkuk has been helping us uh, ask God why he allows all that wickedness, why he allows all the injustice to go on. And in chapter 2, God gave an answer. He said he will judge all wickedness in the end, and now the call is for believers to wait, to live by faith. Habakkuk responds, therefore, in chapter 3 by writing a song. The opening verse says it's a shigionoth, uh, which is presumably a musical term. The closing verse says that it's for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So this is actually just like a psalm. Uh, it's a song that he's written for him to sing, but it's a gift for others too, to, to help them and us to express our faith in times of distress, to help us find joy, not instead of the sorrow, but alongside our sorrow, that, that joy that can go with it from the Lord. So where does that joy come from? Well, we've got three points for today. And the first is we remember what our very mighty God has already done. We remember what our very mighty God has already done. And this is verses 2 to 15. Um, what you get here is a picture painted of God in sort of extreme language, showing him in his mighty power, sort of smashing through creation as he comes to judge the world and save his people. It's remarkable. Verse 6, for example, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and, and made nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. Well, verse 11, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear in wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one and verse 15 you trampled the sea with your horses churning the great waters it's like something um Something out of a sci-fi film, maybe. This great figure with supernatural power and the earth melts before him. I could imagine a sort of a villain in a, in a Marvel film. I've not got an actual reference for you because it's not really my genre. <laughs> but here is our God, very mighty, 
plowing through creation, leaving destruction in his wake. (laughs) And he comes to judge the world and save his people. And it's meant to make us go, wow, he's on our side. There's more going on here, though. I think the details here draw us back to remember a story from their past as well the exodus do you remember know the exodus the exodus was the uh, the great rescue of the people of god from captivity in egypt and then taking them into the promised land it's it's their national story for israel and it and reminders of it pop up again and again in these verses so um verse three god came from timan the holy one from mount paran Now, these are places near Egypt, in the desert region down there, near to Sinai, in the region where Moses met with God at the burning bush. This is where the story started. And then verse 5, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. And we remember, don't we, that uh, God sent those ten plagues on Israel, on, on Egypt, in order to get his people free. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. And these were the nations that God uh, led his people past on the way to the promised land. And they were cowering before Israel and their mighty God. Verse 8, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? What's that about? Why is God angry with rivers, angry with the sea? But we remember, don't we, that, that God led his people through the Red Sea. God stopped the water in a great wall. And his people were able to run across on the dry land. They were being chased by Egyptian chariots and horses. When they crossed, God sent the water crashing down on them. His chariots were mightier than theirs. Verse 11, sun and moon stood still in the heavens. uh, Standing still in the heavens as God fights. And, And maybe you remember the story of when they came into the promised land with Joshua. And they were fighting to conquer the land. And that time when God stopped the sun in the sky. Now, if these stories are new to you, don't worry. Uh, They're all there in Exodus, Numbers, and Joshua. Read them and see the amazing things that God did, the mighty way he led his people to freedom. Finally, verse 12, In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations from Egypt to the nations along the journey, to the nations in the land. All these nations opposed Israel. They tried to destroy them, but they were defeated by the Lord. So as Habakkuk's writing his song, it's like he's got God's CV alongside, and he's referring to it. You know, all the mighty works of the Lord on one side of A4, and and he's seeing that God has done it in the past, And God will do it again. God is qualified to save his people. 
So for Habakkuk and his friends facing the Babylonians, they should think, Almighty God, he did all of that? Well, he'll see us through this too. The return from exile will be the second exodus. And for us, facing specific distressing times now, or or just living in this distressing world, we should remember that our mighty God did all of that. The rescue from Egypt, and the return from exile, and then he did still more, all the Jesus stuff. You know, the miracles, the healings, the calming of the storm. Jesus himself had that mighty power. But the greatest rescue of all? Not from Egypt, not from Babylon, but from the power of the devil and of our sins. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he has set us free. It's the greatest historical act of our very mighty God. So if he did all of that, he'll see us through this too. He'll see us all the way through to the second coming of Jesus, which will be the final and great exodus, being taken from this harsh world to the promised land. Whatever our situation now, it might feel completely overwhelming to you. We might be weak and powerless in the face of what's happening. But God is not... He is mighty to save. And like Habakkuk says in verse 2, we have heard of what he has done in the past and we can ask him to repeat it again in our day. Living by faith, in search of joy, we remember what our very mighty God has already done. Secondly, we wait for what God, uh, for, we wait for God to do what he has promised. We wait for God to do what he has promised. Verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He considers this vision of God and he fears, and rightly so, I'd say. This is a terrifying description of God, isn't it? In other places, he is described as our father, gentle with his children, delighting over us, but in plenty of places he's shown like this, mightier than anything in creation, and so all of creation should fear. And I'm sure there are times when our hearts pound when we're just about to get up and do a presentation, or when our lips quiver as we hear some bad news. Or in the face of real danger, it feels like we're decaying inside and our legs are going to give way. But I wonder if we ever feel that way about God. There's a right fear of him, which if we never feel might lead us to complacency or dishonor. But we balance it with that knowledge that he does love us so much. And so then Habakkuk writes next, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He waits patiently. It's not happening yet. He's got to wait for it. He can't do anything about the situation. He can't bring justice himself. But he knows that God will 
one day because he's promised to in chapter 2. Knowing his overwhelming inability to do anything at all, he just waits for God to do what he has promised. I said last week that Christianity is about what we hear, not what we see. And it might be worth me developing that a little bit more. Christianity is about what we hear, not what we see. But it doesn't mean there's never been anything to see. Christianity is based on real moments that you could have witnessed. The Exodus, all through the Old Testament, they keep telling each other about it as a reminder, but it really did happen, and there were people, there was a generation who saw it. Similarly, Jesus' death and resurrection, we keep telling each other about it, we sing about it, we remind ourselves about it, but there were people who saw it. That's really important. Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 15 the witnesses of the resurrection. And one day, we will see again. We'll see for ourselves in the new creation, we'll see the risen Lord Jesus face to face and we'll worship him. It will not be faith then, but sight. But for now... We are in a waiting phase, which is a hearing and believing phase. We hear those reminders about what he's done in the past. We hear the promises about the future. Seeing is very much just a sort of present thing. You only see what's in the present, but hearing takes you into the past and into the future. And so that's how we wait. And that's why we're Bible people, aren't we? In the present, we see chaos around us. We're we're tempted to think God is idle. He's not doing anything or he doesn't exist. That's what the world thinks. But in the Bible, we're told that God is real. He is mighty. He's the Lord over the chaos and he's on our side. Christians are people who are able to wait, therefore. For some of you here today, it will feel like Life is oppressive. It's oppression at the hands of other people. Oppression at the situation you're in or or the tasks before you. Or oppression at your own sort of expectations of your life. And we pray for an end. And we do what we can to relieve you. But please know that one day you will be rescued fully. And finally, it's a promise to you from God to help you wait. And it isn't easy. It involves daily reminding ourselves that what we see is not everything. Here Habakkuk is having to preach to himself, so must we. It's a common and excellent Christian habit to read the Bible every day. It helps you wait in faith. Also, we can help ourselves by learning special verses. Memory verses are not just for children in children's church. Choose the ones that are particularly helpful for you and learn them so that you can recall them in your moments of need. Or put them up somewhere. I love going around to people's houses and I see that people have got verses up in different places, sometimes in the lounge, sort of an artsy, really nicely done one. Sometimes in the bathroom, just a scribbled note on the mirror. 
These are the sorts of things that you need to have in place to help us wait with faith. Then finally, as we come to the end of Habakkuk, we rejoice even while we wait. We rejoice even while we wait. These final verses are so special. These verses are worth sticking up somewhere. My mum said to me that she had these verses on a poster in her university bedroom. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. There are no promises that the Christian life will be easy. Rather, an expectation that we will have to endure hard times. Now, these things in verse 17 may not stir up in us the intended reaction, may not feel like hard times. I'm not that bothered about figs. You know, a friend of mine, fig rolls are his absolute favorite snack. This would be devastating to him. To me, no, it's okay. Uh, Grapes, to me, an average fruit. Um, Olives, I find them quite unpleasant. (laughs) No, we need to see how tough a scene this really is. These are key crops in Israel. And there's a possibility that with the invasion of the Babylonians and and the effects of that, just everything will be plundered. The land will be ravaged. No crops, no sheep, no cattle. We don't see where our food comes from. They were acutely aware. You know, this is like the land coming under a curse from God. It would sap all joy. For some of us, the hardship may well be a lack of food or money or the ability to provide for our houses. For others, it will be other things that are devastating for us to lose. Verse 17 might be like saying, though I lose my job, though I never get married, though I get really sick, though my mind starts to fade, though loved ones die, These things happen, don't they? Being a Christian doesn't protect us from these. Being a keen Christian doesn't protect us from these. Being in Christian work, being a Christian uh, missionary, there's no way to guarantee an easy life as a Christian. Yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Christian experience of Habakkuk And many others is that we can still rejoice. A steady joy alongside the sorrows. And verse 19, his spirits are lifted. He has strength. He feels fresh and eager and like he can can run to the top of mountains. Some of you will know the story of Corrie ten Boone. Some of you will even have heard her speak Uh, She was a remarkable woman from a Dutch Christian family in World War II. They protected Jews from the Nazis. In the end, she and her sister were taken to a concentration camp. 
She, uh, she survived, her sister didn't. But in that camp, uh, they were a light to all the women around them. They, uh, they smuggled in a Bible, and each night they gathered around it, and they formed a community of hope and love and even joy in the midst of one of the most evil places the world has ever seen. How can this be? How can we find joy now in our distressing situations? Not just joy at the end, joy right now too. How is that possible? I think it's a question of where we find our joy, where we look for our joy. Most of our joy in life now uh, comes from our situation and our experiences, doesn't it? Joy from a fun day out, joy from a holiday, joy from a new bit of kit, joy from new clothes or a special meal, joy from our work, joy from our achievements, joy from the football. But joy from moments and experiences will just wither when the heat of suffering comes, when the moments become sad and the experience is tragic. We don't care about the football if our house has just been burgled. There's a better joy which comes from others. People provide a deeper, stronger joy. You lose your job, but you come home to the warm embrace of your loving family. You're the victim of crimes at the hands of wicked people, but kind people gather around you. We grieve the loss of loved ones, but let it not be alone. Let it be with other people. But even that sorrow can still overwhelm. We know that, don't we? The best joy comes from one person in particular, the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, God Himself, because of who He is and what He has done and what He says He will do brings us real, deep joy alongside the sorrows. There is a goodness flowing out of Him that is not stopped by the evil. He is mighty, yet holds us tenderly. He is holy and just and patient. He is gracious and compassionate and sovereign. He will make everything right in the end. He feels the depths of sorrow himself and the heights of joy at the same time in perfect balance. And he helps us to know the same. And it comes to us by the uh, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It's the peace which surpasses all understanding. Steady joy comes from knowing God our Savior. I know many of us are experiencing sad times. Many of us have in the past. And I pray that God will give us the faith so to trust Him and to be so full of understanding and hope that we can find joy in Him even in the midst of it all. That's the gift of God.
And it's the very nature of Advent as well, rejoicing while we wait. We're waiting for Christmas Day and enjoying the season, waiting to celebrate the first coming of Jesus and rejoicing in all that he's done for us and waiting for his second coming, holding tight to the promises with a deep joy through it all that comes from our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that you are the mighty God, the God of all history, the God who is faithful and good and kind and powerful and sovereign and have been working excellent things from beginning to end. We thank you so much for our Lord Jesus in whom we find complete salvation and we long for his second coming. Please, Lord, give us all today faith and courage, and hope, and joy, real joy from you by the power of the Holy Spirit as we hear your promises and believe them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.